0: Hello fellow listeners, it's Mary Stone speaking to you from the screen porch. A very windy screen porch, I must say, so I'll give this a try. If it's too windy, I may just have to come back and chat with you all. Anyway, I am excited to say that I'm about to put the indoor plants out here on the screen porch. It's about that time of year. It officially isn't the end of the risk of freeze, but we should be fine given the overhead protection. And in front of me is a beanbag chair that has now become, and I'm a little sad about this, but it's become Jolie's porch chair because after the porcupine incident, which I mentioned last time, it was that day that she found that beanbag and found comfort in nestling in it. And, you know, I looked for a doggy version of it, but um, nothing really compares to the one that I bought for myself. I don't even know when it was. It was a birthday of some significance, and I had one as a kid, so it's somewhat of a cherished item, but I'm willing to share, so there you go. Speaking of sharing, as promised, I'd like to read a special column that evolved from Jolie's incident and the angels that came to our rescue. And the column is titled Three Sisters Gardening and Jolie's Emergency, which you can visit on the website, the Garden Dilemma's website. It starts like this. Hello fellow readers. I intended this week's topic to be about Three Sisters Gardening. Companion plants in your vegetable gardens, stemming from Native Americans. They combined corn, pole beans, and squash, creating an ecosystem for sustainable gardening. Rather than planting them in rows, you grow them in groupings. Do you hear the peepers? Ah, it's peeper time. The corn supports the pole beans, while the beans help stabilize the corn from the wind. Beans provide a nitrogen boost to the soil, and squash suppresses weeds and helps maintain the moisture. There's more to why they make perfect companions, but if I may share a story tugging at my heart. On Sunday, we took Joe Lee to Blue Mountain Lake, part of the Delaware Water Gap Recreational Area, a spot we frequented with Miss Ellie. Jolie is nervous on a ride, but ignites with excitement during hikes. We stopped at Indian Rocks, a viewpoint overlooking Pennsylvania's mountains. There was a heart-shaped arrangement of stones a previous hiker left behind that brought a smile. Kurt snagged a photo of Jolie and me in the middle. Then on to Hemlock Pond, where several folks were enjoying the respite. Jolie took off, pulling out from the hold on the leash, running into the woods. Leave it, leave it, leave it, we yell, a command not yet mastered. I feared it was a bear cub, then saw a porcupine meandering up the tree. I've come upon the docile creatures several times, hiking the Appalachian Trail. Kurt was able to grab the leash, and the situation seemed under control. Then came squeals from Jolie. Kurt exits the woods, carrying our dear pup. Her left paw loaded with quills. She accidentally stepped on a porcupine, a baby one, just below the tree, Kurt explained, not seeing it there. We were two and a half miles from the parking lot, too far to carry Jolie the whole way, and if she walked on the quills, it would add far more to the injury. I should preface this, that Kurt is trained as a veterinary assistant, having worked part-time to satisfy his love of animals years ago. Porcupine quills have barbs on their end, making them more painful coming out than going in. It's a manual process to pick them out, and usually the animal is under sedation. My job was to hold Jolie. Then some angel hikers stepped in to help. Two women saw the scene. Is there something we can do to help? We have a first aid kit with tweezers. At first, we didn't take them up on their offer. But as Jolie's fear escalated along with mine, I asked for their help. One gal hands the tweezers to Kurt but I couldn't keep Jolie from squirming out of my grip. She offered to step in as Kurt held her. Not an easy task. Our poor pup was in such pain. One by one, the angel hiker managed to get the remaining quills out. Kurt carried Jolie on his shoulders for the length of the trail back to the parking lot. The scene reminded me of when he lifted Miss Ellie to bring her to the truck on her way to helping her go home. Tears flowed as I followed behind, remembering that day. We called our veterinarian the next day, who said to watch for signs of infection. We are grateful for the angels that stepped in, inspiration to all of us to help those in need. I wish I could send a proper thank you, but I only learned their first names in the flurry, Maria from Vernon, New Jersey, and Trish from Branchville. In sharing Jolie's background, we learned Maria once volunteered at Father John's Animal House from where we adopted her. There are no coincidences. So the neat thing is that Maria found me through the Garden Dilemma's Facebook page and messaged me, and we've become pen pals. And uh, I consider her now my friend, and tomorrow, in fact, we're going to a fundraiser at Father John's Animal House. It's a 5K. They had a virtual version of it, but they're having an in-person one, and so I'm really excited about that. It's just terrific when people extend themselves, and uh, I can't thank Maria and Trish enough for stepping in and helping us with the surgery in the field. Jolie's doing fine, by the way. She's a little bit sensitive with the foot still. I think she has a little stress about it, but uh, Mom recovered from the post-traumatic stress, and it seems she has as well. Back to Three Sisters Gardening. I'd love to know other great garden companions if you would kindly share your successes. At the same time, if I may ask your thoughts on whether it's time to change the column photo from Miss Ellie to me and Jolie. Maybe, in a way, it'll be like we're becoming Three Sisters. Ellie, always in my heart. Garden Dilemmas, AskMaryStone.com so, I'm inviting all of you, by the way, to give me some great successes of companions. It could be your pet companions, or people companions, or garden companions. And uh, feel free to email me at askmarystone at gmail.com. Thanks so much. So, I think the wind is dying down a little bit, so I am going to go on to the next story I would like to share with you, which involves an education that I gained from Patty Dole who's an amazing gardener and runs a cut flower farm not far from here. And uh, we became friends when she invited me to speak at the garden club that she was the head of. And I think she's still involved with the garden club, but uh, I'll have to ask her about that. So the subject is no-till gardening. And it starts like this. Hello, fellow readers. I adore learning from Patty Dole of Little Big Farm, a cut flower farm here in Blairstown, New Jersey. We spoke in late winter when her seed starting was underway and I found out she adopted the no-till gardening technique, also known as no-dig gardening. It's the practice of not disturbing the soil by turning it over. Of course, the first thing, a little side note here, the first thing that came to me was like, are you kidding me? I don't have to dig up this new garden that I'm working on? I am in. I've got to learn about this. Soil is a living thing. Soil has microorganisms, nematodes, fungi, protozoa, and earthworms which work together to decompose organic matter that nourishes the soil and adds to aeration, improving drainage and moisture retention. Not only will plants grow better and produce more, but they'll also be more resistant to pests, diseases, and are more tolerant of periods of drought. So there you go. You leave the soil alone. Don't turn it over. Less work for you. better beneficial soil because, you know, soil is a living thing. Patty invited me to visit the farm a few weeks ago to see the no-till system firsthand.
1: Listen, I'm telling you, this is my third year doing this and what a huge improvement in the soil. I mean, it's beyond. So there's also the other great thing about this is that you're not turning the soil over so you don't bring any of those weed seeds to the top. So there's no, there's hardly any weeds.
0: Wow. So that's
1: another thing. So every time you turn that soil over, like if I was gonna pull this back and then flip it over like Mm -hmm. a double dig, Uh you're just bringing all those weed seeds to the top. Sure. There's so many uh, weeds in the seed bank there that you just bring them to the top and now they're in the sun and they get rained on and they all sprout. And I was always having that issue too. So it's cover crop, tarp, fork, then I'll put some compost on top, like an inch of compost, and it acts like a mulch, and then I can seed right into it.
0: Her soil is now dark, rich, and fluffy, with far fewer weeds. Instead of tilling, she uses a broad fork. Patty demonstrated the tool, which looks much like a wide spade fork, but with a flat crossbar.
1: Um, but I think the broadfork is great for um, home gardeners, Yeah, you know. And like I said, after a while, you won't even really need it anymore, especially in a home garden scenario. Yeah. You can just loan it to your neighbor, you know, and let yeah. them start a new one. But it, it's a little bit of an investment. But we use it for other, like if I wanted to grow lawn there again in that spot that's like compacted, you could go through with a broadfork, oh, lift it yeah. up, and
0: then put... Um, that's just a great thing yeah. because there is a lot of people struggle with that i can't tell you how many times Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's it's not it's it's effort
1: it's a little bit of an effort yeah but it's just you know you standing on the fork you know so you don't need to go to the gym you don't need to go to the gym it's (laughs) a good workout
0: (laughs) patty puts both feet on the crossbar with the fork straight on the soil and uses her weight to push the tines into the ground then rocks to loosen it keeping her feet on the crossbar she pulls back taking advantage of the tool's leverage and her body weight to add air to the soil. She stands behind the area she's forking, not to compact the earth as she's working.
1: It seems like it's more labor-intensive, but I would have to go through here a lot of times with a tiller like three or four or five times to get it broken up enough. Yeah. And then I'm just killing the soil, I'm just killing yeah. that, you know, all the um, organisms that live in there.
0: Wow, so this is awesome. now this
1: is a lot easier.
0: Planting cover crops between seasons or between crops helps increase soil fertility, reduces erosion versus exposed soil, and suppresses weeds. Patty used mustard in the fall, which dies down in the winter. She tarps it, then comes spring, forks it, adds an inch of compost, and then plants. Other crops she uses include peas, ryegrass, and oil, seed, radish. Patty suggests cover crops for home gardeners as well and adding an inch of compost on top in the fall, before the cover crop, and again in the spring, keeps the weeds down and adds more nutrients to the soil. Happy soil equals happy plants, is one of the subheadings on the column. Dying roots also help build soil. Patty explained how they used to pull out the sunflowers in the fall.
1: Like even with our sunflower crop now, we don't pull it out. We used to pull out the whole plant, knock the soil off and compost it. And now what I do, like this fall, I had a crop. I just cut them all down, left them all in the soil, left all those roots. They were dying and they were decaying all winter and they're breaking down, but they're providing sure food. And then in the spring, when I did have to pull some of them out, they were in the way when I was uh, forking. Every time you'd pull one of those little stumps up, that would have like a bunch of worms. And if you looked close, you would see like a lot of little insects there and stuff. And I'm sure a bunch of things you can't even see with the naked eye. And so that's exactly the kind of thing you want to leave in your soil. So, yeah. Um, and it, most of it just was not even an issue to deal with in the spring, you know? It's your great. soil looks amazing. I mean, it does, it looks great. Oh right? my God. And that's why I was saying, so why don't I have good soil? So this soil did not look like this three years ago because I was constantly tilling it. And I have clay soil. Yeah. You know? So it was just constantly bringing the clay up to the top and the weeds to the top and i just wasn't getting any um good growth so um now like i said i'll only broad fork like a bed like this like two or three times and then on the fourth time oh and the fork just sinks right in i'm done in 10 minutes i added the air and i I hardly need to fork it at all anymore you know
0: so So. the first time you're doing it you have to multiple times yeah Yeah.
1: exactly because it's never been done before and Mm -hmm. you're getting down to that like deeper level of soil um but after that, it gets easier every time.
0: What made you, or what inspired you, to start this system?
1: Oh, the tiller was always broken. <laughs> that's what it was. it was like. And as a as a, 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 a one-person show here, who has no um, real mechanical skills, every spring, you no matter how good you are, your equipment fails. It seems like right when you need it. If yeah. you're a farmer, that's just the way it is. <laughs> and so. Um, yeah, so I would—I uh, had this old tiller. It's as old as I am, but it was great. It's awesome. It always starts right up. But then I'd get it out here, and something would break on it, and then I'd have to call somebody to fix it, and then it would be out for ten days. And I—I was—and then you have to wait for the soil to be dry, in order to till. Because if you till when it's wet, it's you know just make concrete out of the soil. Sure. Um, and so that was really my first motivating factor was that I wanted to get into the soil sooner than I could with a mechanical instrument, and so I just went with the something simpler.
0: An early start, better soil, healthier plants, and less work? Indeed, no-till gardening is more than a win-win. Garden Dilemmas? AskMaryStone.com So Patty Dole shared so much information that I ended up building two columns out of her education on no-till gardening. So the second one is titled, Starting a No-Till Garden. And it was based on my question, whether or not a homeowner needs to remove the turf or the lawn in an area where they're starting a new garden, whether it be vegetable or or actually a flower garden. So she said, no, you don't have to. This is tremendous, wait till you hear. I mean, if I
1: was gonna uh, recommend, if somebody wanted to do a new garden and there was lawn there, I would tarp it first. Oh. I would get a tarp, and if you don't have a tarp, which you know, you can't find, um, I would use cardboard and then put something, you know, I would, I, that's what I do. When I want a new bed, I just go up the hill. That's how I made all these beds. Um, I would just put plastic right on the bed, right where I want it and just leave it there for, for how a, long? A couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on a couple things. Like if you, um, it, you want it to be no air and no light to get in there at all. Right. And that's going to kill it faster. So if it's tight, plastic is tight or the cardboard's really tight and then you put some um, something to hold it down on top, you know, then you won't have to do it for as long um, a period of time. But I would do it like um, in the fall and just let it sit all winter yeah. and in the spring I would come back and I'd, have a, I'd take it off. It would look like this uh, bed and fork it, add compost and plant.
0: What a great idea, especially since many of us have plenty of cardboard from online shopping. The process of removing light and air to control weeds or kill turf and plants is called occultation. The University of Minnesota explains, unlike solarization using clear plastic that allows light and heat to pass through, which is, by the way, a greenhouse effect, the black sheeting used in occultation absorbs the light, therefore not heating the soil as much. Occultation takes four weeks to be effective, and after six weeks, the efficacy wears off. Ideally, they say to bury the edges of plastic to keep it from blowing away while keeping the air out. Patty uses sandbags or rocks. Or you can use landscape staples, U-shaped pins used to anchor irrigation tubing. They're also used to secure landscape fabric. A side note here, I never suggest landscape fabric in gardens other than below gravel, as it causes shallow roots and poor plant health. Plus weeds form anyway as the malt on top breaks down. Patty explained occultation doesn't hurt the microbial life. They just go deeper in the soil. And when you take it off, they come back into the topsoil.
1: Because I've read about that. I was worried about that myself. Like, am I killing the mm-hmm. very things I'm trying to protect here and right. keep in my soil? And either, if, even with it, when it's um, clear plastic, they just go deeper. If it gets really hot, they just go deeper or avoid that soil for now. And then when you take it off, they come back. Right. So, so you yeah. don't
0: have to take that dead No, and the grass just
1: dies down, and uh, I wouldn't even go through the work of ripping it up anymore if I want a new garden. Just put a bunch of cardboard, um, compost, grass clippings, or something like that to keep it on, and then let it sit for a, a couple of weeks or maybe months if you have more time and it's not in an ugly spot. where. But even if it's in a spot like a front yard, you can put just compost on top of it and plant flowers on top of that. Uh, for the couple of months until you, until it breaks down. It'll just right into the compost. Wow. You know what I mean? And cool. then the compost, the cardboard breaks down so fast. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, you don't even need, you don't need to lift it up. It just disappears. The worms love cardboard too. There's something in the, the glue. I think that they just really love that. Huh. Um, Is there it, any uh, chemicals in cardboard? Well, you should definitely not use colored cardboard. Right. You should use just like brown corrugated cardboard. Right. And it's a lot nicer to use, uh, take the tape off and things right. like that.
0: Patty puts cardboard down in the pathways of her vegetable garden and adds mulched hay on top. Be sure to get the mulched hay from a reputable source, otherwise you'll get weed seeds or hay treated with pesticides. That would be a problem if you're growing edibles, that's for sure. Straw is also an option, which brings a question. What's the difference between hay and straw? And what are the pros and cons of each in the garden? I feel another column coming on. garden dilemmas askmarystone.com thanks so much for coming by i look forward to the next time we get to visit on the screen porch and all my plants will be out here and i would so appreciate if you haven't done so already to subscribe to our podcast and share with your friends that may enjoy the podcast as well so that more can learn about the healing and growing aspects of nature and our gardens thanks so much you can follow Garden Dilemmas on Facebook or online at gardendilemmas.com and on Instagram at hashtag Mary Elaine Stone. Garden Dilemmas, Delights, and Discoveries is produced by Alex Bartling. Thanks for coming by. I look forward to chatting again from my screen porch. And always remember to embrace the unexpected in this garden of life. Have a great day.